Father, we continue to praise you and thank you that you did send Jesus to overcome, and he does wear the victor's crown. We thank you for this morning. Thank you for our time together. Lord, we pray that you would enlighten us from your word, that your Holy Spirit would be strong and powerful and clear, that you would teach us and train us the way we should go, that you would change us, Lord. Um, not that we would remember specific details of today's sermon, but we would remember the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we are forevermore a little more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome here. My name is Pastor Jeremy. If you're just joining us, we are so glad you're here to worship today. Uh, what we're doing right now in our churches, we've, we've just resumed our fall sermon series, and really we've just resumed everything. As you know, there's been this uh, strange period of time for COVID when we shut down and we went outside. Now we're coming back in with social distancing and masks and other good stuff to keep us safe and prevent an outbreak. But at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is be the church. Regardless of where we're at, as the people of God, we want to be the church. And that church will not be destroyed or will not be shut down, but instead will be triumphant no matter what. The resurrection of Jesus Christ goes on forever and ever, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen? Amen. That's where we're at. So we continue as a church, and what we thought we would do is this fall, since we're reopening, or since it's fall, we are focusing on what the church looks like specifically for us. Indeed, there are universal characteristics that are true, regardless of what color a church, or what language a church, or what location, or what whatever. There are things that are true of the church all the time, but there are specifics that we focus on because of where God has put us and what he's brought into our path. And so we're looking specifically at the mission and vision of Midland Evangelical Free Church here in mid-Michigan today and beyond. This new mission and vision, the vision says this, it says, we aspire to be a gospel-centered family where everyone we encounter moves closer to Jesus every day. That's our vision. There's the big picture. The mission is a step down from that. We'll get to that eventually, but what we're doing right now is just walking through the various pieces. So the last few Sundays, we focused on what it means to be gospel-centered. Now today, we're going to talk about what it means to be a family. What does it mean for us as a church to be a family? And I think that's a significant question because in today's world, obviously, there are a lot of different definitions of what a family is. And we don't want to just draw our definition from contemporary culture or from our own opinions or anything else, but instead, we want to take truth from the Word of God. And so we're going to look at the Bible today and say, what does the Bible tell us that a nuclear, regular, old male and female family is? And then, what does it look like for a church? So we're going to start with the human nuclear family, and then we're going to move to the broader family, the church, and watch how God develops that theme and uses it throughout his word. Everybody with me so far? All right, by the way, kiddos, thanks for sitting in the front row. Adults, take note that children are sitting in the front row. Yes, hi, way to go. We're glad you're here. Thank you so much. I'm going to try to make it interesting. We're not going to play Duck, Duck, Goose today, but you might hear those words again, so listen up. All right, so let us review then what we talked about a few Sundays ago, because if you're like me, 
it probably quickly disappeared and went away. The first thing we said was that that the church must be gospel-centered. If, if nothing else, we have to have the gospel. If we don't have the gospel, we're not a church. The gospel is our core, it's our essence, it's what saves us and makes us who we are. And we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we saw that this was of first importance. Like, there's a lot of things that are good, but of first importance, the main thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That gospel means good news. It is the news of his triumph, of his victory. The herald comes in saying, Yay, Jesus won, Jesus won, Jesus won. He won through his death, his burial, his resurrection, and don't forget his return. Jesus' triumphant victory at the cross and in the future is what we call the good news of the gospel. That event was preached to you, punctiliar event, You received it, punctiliary event, and now that is the grace in which you stand over and over again. You keep doing this. It's a repetitive event. You repent, believe, obey, repent, believe, obey. It goes on and on and on. And essentially, we summarized that, Georgia, and we said that that is a lot like the game what? Duck, duck, goose. You got it. Exactly right. Duck, duck, goose. Repent, believe, obey over and over again. And the last one, the goose, the obey, that sets this thing in motion and is the grace in which you stand for the rest of your Christian life. So gospel-centered, first importance. But here's the cool thing. The gospel didn't just drop out of the heaven into our laps. Maybe we think that would be neater if it did, but God is much more creative than that. He's much more patient than we are. He develops things over time and through various generations. Indeed, if you look at the New Testament, sorry, the Old Testament, if you look at Genesis, these are the generations of, in Hebrew it's Toledo. These are the generations of Adam and Noah and Cain and Abel and Seth and everybody else who came after him. There's these long list of genealogies. And if you're a Bible reader, sometimes you get there and you go, oh, 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 who begat who? What? you're looking for names there might be some original ones in there check it out but there's the thing it's not just random god is showing you the historical development of the coming of christ jesus came from a family from a very ordinary everyday girl and this guy named joseph who was so righteous he waited until they were married even when he had to care for her at night. Here is this family that is coming from the line and lineage of David. Here is this very incredible story. And what you find is it's not in isolation, but it's through family. God saved the world through family. Before church, before the United States, before government, before education, before health care, before any other institutionalized system ever, there was family. The first and very first thing that God gave to build up and sanctify humanity was family. Leland Riken, a scholar who looks at the literary genres of Scripture, says it like this. This is not a book. This is a dictionary, so you won't necessarily read it, but it's super cool when you follow these themes. The theme of family 
he talks about and he says this, the Bible begins with a biological family as the central social context of human life and as a chief means of God's communication with human beings. The channel is long. Promises are passed from Adam to Noah to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. But as you watch this book develop, what you see, it's different from transformers and superpowers and all this other crazy stuff. Instead of some great battle, crucial events do not occur in the court and on the battlefield as other ancient epics would have it, but around the home. Be affirmed. If you're a stay-at-home mom and you're working hard with your children, here are the real battles where God will redeem his people. The stories of the national leaders seldom lose sight of the domestic lives of people. The battlefronts on the home. The Bible is a book of families. And God redeems through family. So what then is the family? You know, I have to ask that question, don't I? Because in today's world, we've completely redefined it and seen so many different versions we don't even know anymore. What is the family? Well, in the original context, and I'm going to take it way back, and then I'm going to bring it back down again. In the original context, in the Garden of Eden, God created two human beings in His image. Now, why are you saying that, Pastor Jeremy? Because this is essential for you to know how to understand family works. The next thing you say is, okay, well, what is God's image? Who is God? What is he like? Are there multiple gods or is there one God? And we, in monotheistic, singular Christianity, say one God. Yet, that one God exists in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. But they're all God. They're all equally worthy of worship. You can worship the Holy Spirit, you can worship the Son, you can worship the Father. Full on. Equal in essence. Equal in power, equal in divinity, equal in every way. And yet, what do you see when Jesus comes to earth is that the Son submits to the Father. Always. Not my will, but yours. Jesus perfectly submits to the Father. Does that make him less of a God? No. Does that make him less value? No. Does that make him less worthy of worship? Does that mean he's not a leader? No. Of course not. That means he's Jesus, the name above all names, at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. And it's hard to submit, especially when you're on your way to the cross. And yet he does. Perfectly. Not because he's of less value, but because it shows his value. His ability to follow the will of the Father perfectly. So you have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Perfect community, perfect unity, perfect love, differing roles, differing functions, different jobs. Guess what you should have in the home? Well, if you're made in the image of God, then your home's supposed to look like that. You will have different roles. You should have leadership. And as a Christian, as a Bible believer, I think it's supposed to be male leadership. Husband's supposed to be the head of the home, just like God the Father. The wife submits to the husband, just like Jesus does to the Father. And he leads. 
Now, I know that sin has come into the picture and it's not a perfect world. That started way back at the very beginning with Adam and Eve and messed things up. And ever since then, it ain't been perfect. And that's why it's hard. It's not easy to submit to an imperfect leader and it's not easy to lead an imperfect follower. But the ideal that we are shooting for, that we aspire to, is this Trinitarian image of the home where there is equal value, equal essence, and different function. That's what it means to be an image bearer made in the image of a perfect triune God. So as I said, sin comes in. And that messes things up a little bit. And we struggle and we wrestle with our current reality. But God doesn't leave us wondering. Instead, he says, okay, hold on, hang on. Let me show you what that would look like. Now in the home, if this were a sermon on marriage, we might go to Ephesians 5. But it's not. We're going to the church. And so instead, we're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. In just a minute, we'll get to Galatians. So this will be up on the screen. If you're following along at home, uh, you'll see it on the bottom of your screen. 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says this. The Apostle Paul, writing a letter to his protege, Timothy, his son in the faith, says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that, here's why the New Testament letter that he's writing is written. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. In every household, in every family, no matter what context you're in, there are rules. They are unwritten or written, whatever it may be. Everyone knows in this family you do this, in this family you don't. When I go to this family, it's like, whoa, I feel weird to go to this family. Ah, I feel okay. Because you're either used to the rules or you're not. Paul is spelling them out. Here are the rules. Here's how you should behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. I love this description a pillar and buttress of truth. Not some random social club based on mere whims of the day, but the eternal, unchanging truth of the Word of God. Here's how we should behave. If you're in the church, this is how you should function, okay? Now, I'm going to go to Galatians chapter 6. This is the longer portion of today's text. And from it, draw some specific applications to where we are today at Midland Evangelical Free Church. So there's the family, the nuclear family. Now we're moving into the church family and specifically what it would look like for us here at Midland Free. So if you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6 says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to be boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor." For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But 
the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And listen to this. Here's this super encouraging verse, verse 9. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us to do good to everyone, but especially, especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's a lot of stuff in there, and I could probably preach on every single one of those verses because they're hard and they're not easy, and I struggle through them too. But let me pull out a few applications specific to our church and our context today. And the first of which is this. Family first. Family first. It's not that complicated. In fact, it's our priority from the very beginning. As you saw earlier from Genesis 1 and 2, the, the chapters of the Bible that I referred to, God's start, His initiation of this whole process of creation, fall, redemption, restoration began with family. God sent family first, and as such, we need to keep our priorities straight. So here's the thing. I'm actually preaching to me and not to you right now, because this is true of many a minister who gets into ministry and is like, wow, I can help so many people, and I'm doing good stuff, and I can be at the church all the time, five days a week, six, seven, eight, whatever. There's meetings every night. Let's go. And if you forget your family and forsake what is most important, then it matters not how many people you minister to if you've messed up with your first and most important thing. And how many ministers have you seen go when they royally mess up in places that should have been first? And that's a scary thought for me. I mean, I, I pray that, I honestly, just to be honest, let's, let's not on record, right? I pray, I pray, I'm like, Lord, I would rather be a small town, no name, whatever, than a big shot falling from grace. Don't ever make me that, if that's what's going to happen. Mm-mm. No, no way. Family first, get it right. Look, it starts here. In, the way I think of it is in these concentric circles. You know, if you are Trinitarian image bearers, if you were made in the image of God, male and female, then you begin right here and you start with the people that you are with the most. You have so much influence on the people that you live with, but some random person walking down the street, good luck. But these people, they see your life. They know what is true and what is not. And let me tell you something. I've worked at a few churches. This is, this is the third one I've worked at. Hopefully my last, right? Right? No one's playing anything here. Okay, good. Uh, at my first church, it was in a rural community where there, all the young people, it's a farming community, so there's no jobs unless you're a farmer. So all the young people move away and the family farms stay, but you farm that until you're done. And what happens then is there ends up being a significantly older population than younger. And as a result, I did way more funerals than I ever did weddings. And every single week, I used to go to the nursing home. And you know what I learned at those deaths, you know, at those bedsides? There are three people who will be standing next to you when you're dying. Your wife and your kids. 
That's it. It's not going to be your boss. It may not even be your pastor. What if you call him and he's not there? He may come too late. At the very end, in that little room, all of a sudden it becomes really clear which relationships matter the most. In fact, I've even gone to hospital rooms where the same family couldn't be in the room at the same time. One person had to go out, go to another place, and the other person could go in. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Your first priority is that little nuclear family of yours. And sure, we've all made mistakes, and many of us have experienced trauma, but for as much as it depends on you, live at peace with your family. So you start there, and then you move out, and you go to your church family, and your community, and the entire world. And those circles, they don't stop, but don't mess, don't mess this one up. Realize the most important thing is your immediate family. The Bible begins with family. We need to begin with family. Secondly, then it moves to the church. From your initial family, it moves to the church. Look at verse 10. I'm not making this up to serve my own interest here. Look at verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, acknowledged everyone, regardless, everyone, color, creed, whatever, everyone, but especially, look at that word, especially to those who are of the household of faith. You know what they would say back in that little town that I ministered first in? It'd say, keep it local. And what that meant was there was one hardware store. And no offense, but it wasn't that fancy. It was kind of dirty, and it was a mess, and it was narrow. But people shopped there. Why? Because they knew the owner. Hi, Danny. And Danny worked there day and night because that's what provided his, for his family. And you'd buy your stuff there rather than going to the town next door to save 10 cents because you cared about Danny. You wanted to keep it in the family. And that's the thing with a church. Look, I know there's a lot of people out there in the world, but we need to pay special attention, especially to those who are of the household of faith. You've got to take care of your own. The Bible says in other places, if you, know, if you don't, you're worse than an unbeliever. It's a big deal. And what does that mean for us practically? I don't always know how to work this out, but I know that if I have the opportunity in all th- ceteris paribus, all other things are being equal. And I get to choose between a church member and giving them my business and a non-church member and giving them my business. Who do you think I should go to? I think the church member. Because it says, especially the household of faith, I need to bless them because they're my family. Keep your priorities straight. Look, the the concentric circles, the nuclear family, then the church. Keep doing good, but especially the household of faith. Now, next, let me also continue to preach it myself. Um, The next thing in priorities I want to say is this, is about your spiritual life. Um, We, you know, tend to get busy. And if we're doers, there's a lot of stuff we can do. And we need help at a church because we're a volunteer organization and I can put you in about 15 different ministries. But if I did that to the exclusion of your family, that would be on me. We actually at the church don't want you here at the church every single night. 
We want you to be at home with your family and you need to schedule that time on purpose and set it aside and say, no, this night nobody else anywhere ever can have. This is for us. It doesn't have to be fancy. Just be home. Whatever that means. You need to be intentional about your spiritual life, about your family life, and if I schedule you out so much that you're not doing your devotions or you're not spending time in prayer or you're not spending time in the Word, then your priorities are out of whack. Even if you're working at the church, even if I'm working at the church, I could work here seven days a week. But if I do that to the exclusion of those priorities, my time with Christ and my time with family, I'm making a mistake. Keep your priorities straight. I think I'm making my point here. I hope so, after a little bit. Okay, so once your priorities are straight, then, assuming that's the case, be a part of something at the church. And what we mean by this is this. The more in, the more out. If you come, and no offense, I'm going to close my eyes so I can't see. Mostly I can't anyways because of the lights. And you're in the back row or you're in the whatever row and you just come in and go out, that's all you're going to get. And it may be good, but it's not as good as it could be. Because the more you put in, the more you will get out. And it doesn't happen overnight. This takes time and intentionality. You have to be intentional. And I understand that right now our church is, you know, streamlined because of COVID. So there's not quite as many things to be involved in. But I'm not going to even be specific. I'm just going to say, do something. Get involved. Because the reality is this. If, if you're just sitting in a row and all of a sudden one day you disappear, we probably won't know. We won't know enough to call. We, we sadly may not even miss you. But if you're involved and you're closely knit in a life group or a ministry team or some other service involved in your church, then you don't show up and people are going to say, whoa, wait, what happened? Where's so-and-so? They're always here. And they'll ask their friend and they'll ask their friend and nobody knows. More than likely, they'll call and check up on you. And if they find that something happened, there's a good chance all of a sudden meals might start showing up at your door or your rakes or your leaves might disappear. That happens within our church. I've seen it. I know it for a fact. But it doesn't happen accidentally. It happens because these people are known and involved and apart. And the more you're apart, the more it happens. Sure, we can do it institutionally and we can do it systematically. So you can call and we welcome calls because a lot of times, like I said, we don't know. You can call a church, say, hey, my so-and-so is in trouble. Can you please help? And more than likely, our care pastor will follow up and we'll say yes and we'll see what we can do. But I'm telling you, the very best way is for it to be organic, for you to have close, strong, real, firm relationships so that when you have trouble, someone else will help you out. Now that takes time. Like I said, good relationships take time. Everybody knows that. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, In our day and age, life is so busy that if you schedule something once a year, that might be considered a regular occurrence. Say, for example, you schedule game night on New Year's Eve with your friends because you'd rather hang out with them than go drinking or whatever else. And you say, hey, we're going to do this every New Year's Eve. After one New Year's Eve, you're not exactly the best of friends. After four, five, six, seven, eight, it becomes a tradition. You watch your kids grow up together or whatever else. And all of a sudden you're like, man, we really connect with these people. When do you see them? Once a year on New Year's. 
And that becomes pretty regular over time because time goes by fast. It takes time. It really takes time. So, here's my next admonition. Because it takes time, and being intentional doesn't happen overnight, then stick it out. Stick it out, just like an earthly family. Look, you don't see results overnight. It's a long process. I talk to people whose parent or whose kids are fully grown. They're like, we're still parenting. I'm like, no. No. Don't tell me that. It's supposed to say it gets easier. Don't say it gets harder. What's going on? It takes time. Maybe you're in that sweet spot in life and you've got everything settled, but that's not us. We can't give up. We've got to stick it out. We've got to hang in there. And that's why Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 says, Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, when is due season, Pastor? I don't know. Maybe it's in heaven. Maybe it's in this life. I don't know. But in due season, we will reap. We will. It's a promise. We will. If we do not give up. It takes a lot of time. Now, I don't know how long that time is, but I know this. Don't quit. Don't quit. No matter what, don't quit. Even if you ain't getting the results you want right now, don't quit. If you don't get them next week, don't get them next month. Don't get them this year. Don't quit. You just hang in there and trust the Holy Spirit to help. And I feel a little bit actually like I'm preaching to the choir right now. I should say thank you because you're the people who are here. We've had a pretty good opportunity for you to quit. We shut down for a while, and then we went outside, and we did this, and we did that, and now you've got to jump through hoops and social distance and wear a mask and hand sanitizer and yada, yada. I get it. It's really not that great. But you're here, and that tells me you care and you haven't quit, and that makes you a member of God's family. And how blessed I am. I'm so thankful. And COVID has made me more thankful for you than ever before. Let me tell you, the people who are here are for real. And you keep coming and you don't quit. And I say, thank you. Thank you so much for not giving up on your family. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. I recognize that in human family, there's abandonment. I recognize that in church family, there's abandonment doesn't make you less member of a family. It just means something bad happened. I'm sorry for that. But if you don't have family, this is it. This is as good as it gets before heaven. And we ain't perfect. We're full of sin just like you are. But if you believe the gospel, then that means you repent, you believe, obey, and you stick it out until the end when we are. And we're perfect. Right now, we live in that in-between, between our adoption and our inheritance. Right now, we live in between, between our salvation and our perfection. We're in that tough time in between, but we can't give up because we're not there. Even if someone within the church sins against us, we got to keep going. Someone once said it like this. I don't know if you'll like this analogy or not, but it works for me. Some people say, I don't go to church because those church people are just hypocrites. Yep. (laughs) me i don't like to go to church because somebody was mean to me i don't think they're christian they may not be (sighs) they may not be but here's the thing 
everything that swims in the sea is not a fish. But every fish is in the water. Everything in church is not necessarily a sheep. There might be something that's snuck in in sheep's clothing. But the sheep are in the church. Because when you love Christ, you love his wife. We are the bride, we are the body, we are the household, we are the family of God. And we're not promising that we're a perfect family. We're not. But we're a redeemed family. We're a blessed family. We're a beautiful family. And all our brokenness and all our warts and all our wrinkles, we're the family of God. And the more you love God, what's funny is the more you'll love his church. And then you'll know you love God because you're like, how in the world can I love his church? (laughs) But that love for God grows and all of a sudden the love for his people does too. And the more you put in, the more you get out. So in short, I'd say this. Press on and pitch in. Press on and pitch in. Just Keep going. Don't quit. It's your family. God started this thing with family, with Adam and Eve, and he'll end it with family. And that family develops through the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob down to Jesus. But from Jesus, it explodes to include every single family of every tongue, every tribe, and every nation until at the feet of Jesus, every family on earth Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. Church is family. Hang in there. Don't quit. I know you're here. I'm so glad you're here. That means you're real. Thank you. Press on and pitch in. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Thank you that he's redeemed us and called us his own, adopted us to an inheritance and eternal life. Lord, we're not there yet. Boy, would we like to be. It seems like a long way to go. I pray that you'd be with us. Lord, we know you won't forsake us. We know you won't forget us. You won't abandon your family. Help us, God, to stay faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.